Well, amen. Well, I think all of us would agree that this is one of our favorite times of the year. I know it is for me. I love the lights. I love the music. I love the food. I love the laughter. I love the gifts. And I love the family um, gatherings. Um, but I know that I'm kind of odd in that. I know some of you in this room, you don't like the family gatherings quite as much. And some of you um, are a part of this statistic that was commissioned out by uh, Motel 6. How many of you read the article or heard, or heard on the news that the average person can only stand about three hours and 54 minutes of their relatives around the holidays. How many of you, did y'all see that or hear that? And uh, it's crazy because the company that actually commissioned this is Motel 6. You know, the company that says, hey, we'll leave the light on for you. So what they're saying basically is when you get sick and tired of your family, come see us. We've got a room for you, and we've left a light on for you. But, um, you know, I do love this time of year. I love celebrating Christmas. I love coming together as a faith family and gathering around the table with my extended family as well. Let me ask you this question this morning. How many overachievers do we have? How many of you completed all of your Christmas shopping? Anybody? All right, really, Tiffany, I'm disappointed because I expected you to be done. Half, okay. I saw a Facebook post that she did the other day that she was pretty busy, so I just figured that she would be done. Some of you, though, probably have already started shopping, have done a pretty good job of, 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 of manhandling the crowds and all that other stuff, but it, it's crazy just how we've over-commercialized Christmas, right? You know, you think about Hobby Lobby, At Home, the Home Store, all of these stores, They've been advertising Christmas now since like July. And, and you go into these stores and you've been seeing all of this advertisement. And even Black Friday that used to be on Friday now started this week like on Monday. And it's going to go all the way through Cyber Monday. But we have definitely over-commercialized Christmas. How many of you have ever watched a Charlie Brown Christmas? You know, the 1965 version? You know, in that, in that um, movie, Charlie Brown, you know, he gets to the point where he just screams out at the top of his lungs, doesn't anyone know what Christmas is all about? And as a treat this morning, I want us to um, watch a little clip from It's a Charlie Brown Christmas. We're back. Boy, are you stupid, Charlie Brown. What kind of a tree is that? You are supposed to get a good tree. Can't you even tell a good tree from a poor tree? I told you he'd goof it up. He's not the kind you can depend on to do anything right. You're hopeless, Charlie Brown. Completely hopeless. Rats! You've been dumb before, Charlie Brown, but this time you really did it. <laughs> what a tree! <laughs> I guess you were right, Linus. I shouldn't have picked this little tree. Everything I do turns into a disaster. 
I guess I really don't know what Christmas is all about. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? Sure, Charlie Brown. I can tell you what Christmas is all about. Lights, please. And there were in the same country shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, you shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. In an instant, after the scripture is read, Charlie Brown remembers what Christmas is all about. Sometimes we need to go to God's Word to remember things, don't we? And, and God's Word does remind us what Christmas is all about. And over the next several weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to be reminded of what Christmas is all about. And this morning, what we're looking at is this. Our message point is Christ is the hope of the world. So we're going to look at the different gifts of Christmas, and this morning we're looking at hope and prophecy. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to begin reading in verse 1, and we'll walk through verses 1 through 7 together. Isaiah chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. These are the words of the Lord. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you are broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle, tumult in every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace." Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Isaiah, the prophet, wrote these words about 700 years before Jesus came and dwelt among us. He would be a prophet of three good kings. There would be Isaiah, Jotham, and Hezekiah. And each of these kings did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. 
When he penned these words, though, the king was Ahaz, and he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He was a wicked king who led Judah into a period of tremendous darkness. He desecrated the temple. He aligned with the wicked king of Assyria, and he sacrificed his own children. That's the kind of wicked man this was when Isaiah penned these words that we've read together this morning. In chapter 7, the Lord gives Ahaz an opportunity to see his strength and his might on full display. And so the Lord comes to him, and, he, and, he, and he, we read this in Isaiah 7, verses 10 through 12. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. And I will not put the Lord to the test. Ahaz refuses this sign. This king is, was full of evil. The creator of the universe was willing to show him his might, but he chooses not to see it in order to follow after the wickedness of this world. Instead, he entered into an alliance with the king of Assyria. When the king of Assyria actually shows up, he weakens Judah. This alliance would lead the people away from God and lead them toward greater idolatry. Ahaz would close the doors to the temple. He would place altars all over Judah on every street corner. He led Judah into a very dark period in human history. In the latter part of Isaiah 8, Isaiah warns the people not to turn to the wicked ways of the world. He is warning them that if they do, There is going to be a period of thick darkness that is going to come across the face of the earth like the world had never seen before. In Isaiah 8, 22, in that last verse of that chapter, we read, And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. The punishment for Israel's sin was darkness. And this would be a dark period within human history. There'd be some some hopeless days, and there would be some hopeful days as well. But for the most part, it would be a period of darkness. But this darkness would soon be eradicated by the light of Jesus Christ. And we see here with our first point, the light of Christ eradicates darkness. Notice what happens next. Notice how God uses Isaiah, who is living in a dark period in human history, to give him the glorious revelation of the light of Christ. In verse 9, or verse 1 of chapter 9, we read, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. There will be no gloom. With that one verse, hopelessness is replaced with hope. Isaiah erases all of the gloom and darkness and foretells of the dawning of a new day, the dawning of a great light. He prophesizes of the great light of the Lord Jesus Christ who would come and take away the sins of the world. In verse 2 we read, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness on them has light shone. Church, a life without the Lord is a life of thick darkness. You understand that, don't you? All around us, there are people that are living in the midst of darkness. They're living in the midst of hopelessness because they do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. To live in such a world during such a period would have been utterly depressing. 
you know, I think all of us in this room have heard of the dark days of winter and the effects of the dark days of winter in places like Alaska and, and places um, that, that see very little light during winter. But did you know that in those places where they experience these dark days of winter, depression is tremendous, substance abuse is tremendous, and suicide um, rises during the winter months over the, 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 the summer months. Why? Because darkness is depressing. How many of you have or had kids, or you may even be there now, or you were there as a kid where you got scared of the dark? Anybody like that? Anybody get scared of the dark? I know growing up, I, I didn't like dark, but it didn't take me long to really enjoy that, that dark room. But, but growing up, though, you know, most kids don't like darkness. And so what do we do? We go buy this four little white light bulb, and that little tiny light lights up a room, doesn't it? And it provides comfort. And imagine how that little light chases away darkness. And think about what Jesus Christ has provided to this world. Him being the light of the world provides a way for darkness to be chased away. Darkness to be chased away from within the lost person as well as darkness to be erased as we as Christians go as the light of Christ into a dark world. For Israel, they would experience some incredible dark days. They would be enslaved by the Babylonians. They would be slow to rebuild the temple, slow to rebuild the walls, and slow to return to the Lord. I think all of us in this room would agree that our world is a pretty dark place right now, isn't it? I mean, just think about it. War is raging in all parts of the world. Terrorist groups are ravaging places like the Middle East and Africa and Asia. Persecution is real. If you, if you turn your television on or if you go to some, um, like the Christian Post or some of these other websites, you see how persecution is real. Believers are being killed for their faith. Churches are being destroyed and burned. Pastors are being killed all over the world every single day. The moral fabric of our American culture is spiraling out of control. We've already redefined marriage. Thousands of babies are being aborted each day. Some states have legalized abortion up until birth. I've never seen our politicians so divisive as they are now. Some of you may have, in, in history's past, remember it being divisive like it is, but I have not I cannot recall during my lifetime seeing the devices, divisiveness that we are seeing now. One TV anchor said several years ago that broken people break things. How true that is. You know, I've said before, lost people act lost. Lost people do lost things. The Israel was in need of a Savior. And until that Savior came, they lived in darkness and did dark things and did wicked things. And, and most of the things that they did was in alliance with a king. If there was a good king, they had a tendency to turn back to the Lord. If it was a wicked king, they had a tendency to follow after the idols that that king would construct. But in the midst of the darkness, there is a great light. And that light is the Messiah, the light of hope, the light of of the world. Isaiah was given the honor of prophesizing of the coming of Christ some 700 years before Christ is born. Can you imagine what a privilege and an honor that would have been? 
Can you imagine having received that revelation from God that, hey, yes, today is a dark day, but there's coming a day when the Savior of the world is going to burst into human history and he's going to eradicate darkness and provide a great light for all of mankind. You and I live in the reality of the light of Christ. Isaiah lived with the anticipation of that day coming. Scripture uses incredible imagery when speaking of light. In Psalm 27, 1, we read, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? In Psalm 119, verse 105, we read, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. In John 1, 5, we read, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. In 2 Chronicle, Corinthians, I mean, 4, 6, we read, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. We have the light of Christ in us, and we have the opportunity as the light of Christ to go into this dark world and share Christ's love with those that we come in contact with. You and I have that light within us. We have the source of hope. Let us allow the gospel of Christ, the light of Christ, to penetrate this dark world. Let it penetrate our homes. Let it penetrate our neighborhoods. Let it penetrate our, our workplaces and our schoolhouses and our ball fields and the restaurants and different places that we go to. Let's let Christ's light shine through us. Notice second, it's this. Through Christ, hope enters hopelessness. Hope enters hopelessness. In verses 3 through 5, we read, You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you are broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping, warrior in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. When Isaiah, before Isaiah wrote chapter 9, he obviously wrote chapter 8. And in chapter 8, he talks about the consequences of Israel's sin. Let me read to you a few of the, the consequences of their sin. In verse 4 of chapter 8, we read that the spoils of the land would be carried away. In verse 7, we read how there would be a mighty flood that would sweep over the land. In verse 9, we read the people would be broken and shattered. In verse 17, the face of the Lord would be turned away from the house of Jacob. In verse 20, they will have no dawn. In verse 21, they will be hungry and enraged. They will speak contemptuously against the Lord. In verse 22, there would be distress, darkness, and gloom, and they would be thrust into thick darkness. I think that if there was a prophet of the Lord speaking these words over me, I would probably take notice. I'd probably listen pretty attentively. How about you? How about you? How would you have responded if you lived during Isaiah's day and you're told that, hey, if you don't repent of your sins, then these are going to be the consequences. There is going to be thick and other darkness that is going to come across this land. And it's not going to be a physical darkness, but it's going to be a physical oppression that you're going to experience. Darkness, hopelessness in your life. I, I, I think I would take notice, and I hope each of us would as well. 
The people are living in a hopeless situation. In the midst of all of this, though, the Lord speaks to Isaiah, and doom and gloom is replaced with hope and joy. In verse 3, again, we read, You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. What is happening in verse 3 is a glorious visual of the nation of Israel being brought back together. In verse 1, again, we we read about how different nations, even Gentiles, would come and place their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And what this tells us is this, that the gospel of Jesus Christ is inclusive. It reaches out to all the nations of the earth. The gospel, as we read in Acts 1-8, reaches to Jerusalem. It reaches to Judea. It reaches into Samaria. And ultimately, it will reach into every nation of this world. Just as the gospel of Christ is inclusive, you and I must also embrace the nations of this world by taking the gospel of Christ, the hope of the world, to them. Notice what we read in Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 16. What we have um, is Isaiah predicts um, a prophetic word. And then Jesus, in Matthew chapter 4, we read these words. Now, when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. Speaking of Jesus, withdrawing into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness, have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. Through Christ, darkness gives way to light. Gloom gives way to joy. Hunger gives way to a bountiful harvest. And want gives way to generosity. I love how God takes that which is hopeless. Those who are hopeless and turns them and, 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 and a situ- bad situation into a hopeful situation. And we, that's a God that we serve. We serve a God that loves us so much that he sent his son to come to this earth to dwell amongst us. And that leads us to our third point. It is this, God became man and dwelt among us. In verses 6 and 7, we read, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. For this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. C.S. Lewis once um, pen the birth of Christ is the central event in the history of the earth. The very thing the whole story has been about. The story of human history is all about Jesus Christ, isn't it? It's all about God becoming man and dwelling amongst us and providing a way for humanity to be reconciled back to our holy God. Christ came to this earth to die on the cross for our sins. He came to this earth and he lived a perfect life. He conquered death and he's provided a way for all of us in this room to conquer death as well, to conquer a spiritual death. If we would just place our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ is the hope of the world. 
Christ is why we come together week in and week out. Christ is the reason that we celebrate Christmas. And all the lights and music and gifts and family gatherings, all of those things are great, they're nice and they're fun. But Christ is why we come together at Christmas. Christ is why we celebrate Christmas. And let's not lose sight of that this Christmas. I know that even as a pastor, sometimes I get caught up in the commercialization of Christmas. Get caught up in the decoration, the music, and the celebrations, and the, and the fellowships, and all that. But it's not about those things. Those are the benefit of, the, of Christmas. Uh, benefits of Christ, but Christ is the reason that we celebrate Christmas. Christ is why we celebrate Christmas. Let us not lose sight of that this year. Notice what Isaiah penned within verses 6 through 7. Isaiah made it very clear that for us, he, he wrote these words in verse 6, for to us a child is born. God became man and dwelt amongst us, didn't he? John three sixteen, the verse that all of us know very, very well. But it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. In John 1.14, we read, and the word became flesh, and Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory of the only son from the father full of grace and truth. So for to us, a child is born, to us, a son is given. The Messiah is a gift that has been given to us by God the Father. Romans 6.23, notice what it says up here. Okay, It says, for the wages of sin is death, but notice, because of our sins, what we deserve is death. But notice here, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, when you, many of you in this room are going to give gifts, okay? What are you going to do? You're going to go down to the store and you're going to, put down your American Express card, or you're going to open up your wallet, you're going to put some cash down, you're going to buy that gift, you're going to go home, you're going to wrap that gift, and you're going to give it to someone that you love. Okay, That's something that you purchased and gave to that person. But that person that receives that gift, are they going to open up their wallet and hand you um, the money in exchange for that gift? Absolutely not. Why? Because it is a free gift that you are giving to them because you love them. In the same way, God's gift to all of humanity is His Son, Jesus Christ. It is a free gift. And anyone, anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved is what we read in um, a few verses um, away from that. Christ has provided a way for all of us in this room to enter into an eternal relationship with him. It is a free gift. We don't have to do anything. We don't have to work for anything. We don't have to go and, and, and do anything. It is a free gift that's provided to us. And we see here that the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called. The Lord made it clear to Isaiah that with the coming of Jesus would come a ruler, a judge, and a king like this world had never seen before. Jesus is wonderful counselor. Wonderful counselor it literally means that he is marvelous, that he is extraordinary, that he is beyond the normal capacity to perform, meaning no one will or has ever compared to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is also mighty God. 
Make no mistake, God came and dwelt among us. The second person of the Trinity came and dwelt among us. He is mighty in strength, mighty in authority, and he has provided salvation to all who will call upon his name. Jesus is also everlasting Father. John 1.12 says, Yet to all who received him, those who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. So God is our everlasting Father. We read in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Here's what we can be certain of. There is going to come a day when Jesus Christ is going to sit on the throne of David, and he's going to rule this world forever. Jesus is also the Prince of Peace. For war-torn Judah to hear that peace was possible must have been so incredibly comforting for them. You know, whenever the, 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 the angels appeared to the shepherds. You remember what they uttered to the shepherds? In Luke chapter 2, 13 and 14, they, they proclaimed these words, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those whom he is pleased. Christ comes and provides peace within and without. Jesus is the king of kings. Jesus will rule over Israel and the nations forever. He will rule justly and he will rule rightly. And as ruler, Scripture is very, very clear that one day every single person in this room will have to give an account for our lives. We're going to have to give an account for how we have lived our lives. And we're going to have to give an account whether or not we have placed our faith in Jesus or not. In 2 Corinthians 5.10, we read, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. In Hebrews 9.27, we read, And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. Every one of us are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and we're going to have to give an account for how we have lived our life. For the person that, that hasn't placed their faith in Jesus, they haven't trusted Christ as their Lord and Savior, they are going to be condemned to an eternity separated from God in a real place called hell. But for us in this room that have placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and those outside of this place that have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, there is the promise that we will dwell with Christ for all of eternity. So we're going to receive an eternal reward because we've placed our faith in Jesus Christ. Let me ask you this question this morning. If you were to stand before the judgment seat of Christ this morning, what would Jesus say to you and what would you say to him. My prayer is that all of us hear words such as this. Come on in. Come on in. Why would we hear come on in? Because we've placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I pray that no one here is depart from me for I never knew you. You know, Jesus is the hope of the world, isn't he? Not only is he the hope of the world, but he is wonderful counselor. He is mighty God. He is the everlasting father. He's the prince of peace. And he is the king of kings. And we can place our hope in knowing that. We can take that all the way to the bank, so to speak. You know, when, when Christ 
was first predicted by Isaiah. What was predicted was what we called the first advent. And, and Isaiah penned in verse 7, closed that verse with these words, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. That was a promise that Isaiah said would happen, and, and it happened, didn't it? Christ did come, and he dwelt among us, and he provided a way for all of us to enter into eternity. There's also a second advent, and that's a second promise, and that promise is that Jesus Christ is going to come again. And we read in John 14, 1 through 3, Jesus spoke these words, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. That's a promise that we have from the Lord, that Jesus Christ is going to come again. He's going to come again. Are you ready? If he were to come today, would you be ready? If you're not, or if you don't know if you're ready, in just a moment, I'm going to be standing right here at the front, okay? And we're going to enter into a time of, that we call an invitation. And during this time, if you would like to place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I want you to come and just grab my hand and say, I don't know Jesus, but I want to know Jesus. You may not feel comfortable coming forward. After this service is over, find me. I'd love to share with you how you can enter into an eternal relationship with Jesus Christ. You may be here this morning. The Lord's leading you to make Friendship Baptist Church your church home, and we would love for you to come and do that very thing. It's great church, great people. We love doing life together, and we'd love for you to come be a part of this faith family. Let's stand together. I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer, and if there's a decision you need to make this morning, I invite you to come. Father God, thank you for this morning. Father, thank you for coming and eradicating darkness. Darkness within us. Father, without you, we are living in darkness. But when you entered into our lives, when we trusted in you to be our Lord and Savior, when we repented of our sins and cried out to you, Father, and, and, and made you Lord and Savior of our lives, Father, and you came in and became Lord and Savior of our lives, that darkness was eradicated in an instant. And Father, I know that in this place this morning that there may be some here that have yet to receive you as their Lord and Savior. Father, they're still living in darkness. They're still living in hopelessness. Father, I pray that you'll draw them today unto salvation. I pray that they will open up their hearts and open up their minds and open up their lives, Father, and, 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 and allow you to embrace them because we know that you want to embrace everybody in this room without you. And you want to draw them unto yourself. Why? Because you love us. You loved us so much that you left heaven full of all of its glory and you came and dwelt amongst us and provided a way that we can be reconciled back to our holy God. Father, move now during this time of invitation. We love you and we thank you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.